him as a parking lot guy. So uh, he's the guy with a hat. Uh, he's been doing it for many years, greeting us on the sidewalk and uh, doing the crazy high fives with the kids. So don't try it. Only kids know how to do that. And a um, little history on John and Laurie Malloy. So they've been with Avalon Church uh, since the inception. I believe it was 1999 in a living room. Um, uh, I think at that time it, it was OBC. All right. So he's been Avalon for a long time. And uh, he loves ministering to the kids. I don't know how he does it. When I, I count all the things that he does on Sunday nights, he does youth with uh, Pastor Arthur. And then Wednesday night, he does a wana with us. He's been a wana with us since the beginning. He's seen countless kids come to know the Lord because, you know, he does the uh, lessons with the TNT. And then on Friday nights, he does uh, uh, youth, uh, boys Bible study. And on top of that, he, he does missions. He regularly goes to Detroit. And I've been with him to El Salvador and Kenya, Africa. So um, he loves the Lord. And uh, so let's, uh, let's give him a warm welcome because you guys have a, a great treat ahead of you. All right? Thank you, brother. Well, good morning. My goodness, after that introduction, I don't know if, uh, I don't really know if I'm fit to stand up here, but goodness. Goodness gracious. Well, welcome. Good morning. And if this is your first visit at Avalon Church, or if this is your first visit in a long time, Pastor Dale, our senior pastor, he'll be back in two weeks. So please, please, don't let whatever you're about to experience today prevent you from coming back when Dale returns. I have no idea how this is going to go, but I'm, I'm excited for the ride. Um, VJ already talked about most of the things that I was going to talk about, so maybe we should just close in prayer, but not, that might be kind of good. Um, so no, um, this morning, about a year ago, they, uh, the, the leadership of the church did allow me to speak and share a message. And on that Sunday, it was July 5th of 2015, we met a man named Levi. We met a man named Levi as he encountered Christ, not for the first time, but it was a life-changing moment. We encountered, we encountered Levi, and, and, and what we learned from that message, without going through the entire message, we learned that our past, the things in the rearview mirror, they don't necessarily define our future. They certainly don't define our future in the hands of God. So today, today I want to I wanna visit a couple of people from the Old Testament, maybe visit somebody from the New Testament, and we're going to see what will God do with what we have in our hands. The verses that we're going to study are from Exodus 3, Exodus 4, 1 through 12, and 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. We're going to meet Moses. Actually, I'm going to back up. The first person we're going to encounter is Moses. Now, I'm sure that everyone in here knows who Moses is, but I want to do a very, very brief recap of Moses' life up to the point in time in which we meet him. Can anybody tell that I'm nervous? Anyway, so Moses. Moses was born a Hebrew slave. In a time when the Pharaoh of Egypt, he was born in Egypt, in a time when the Pharaoh of Egypt had made a determination that all male children would be killed at birth. Now, Moses' family was able to help him escape that death sentence. And they determined that the best way to ensure his future was to put him in a small cradle that would float, set it in the crocodile-infested Nile River, send it downstream, and hope for the best. 
Well, God works amazing, amazing, amazingly. Moses floated along, and he encountered a young woman from the house of Pharaoh. And that young woman heard that crying baby in the reeds of the Nile River, and she, and she drew that baby up. And Moses was adopted into the house of Pharaoh, and he was raised as an Egyptian with all of the privileges, with all of the, the dining, with all of the training to become a warrior. Moses was raised until one day, until one day he encountered an identity crisis. And that identity crisis was someone informed him that he wasn't an Egyptian. He wasn't from the house of Pharaoh. He was a Hebrew slave. This created a, a huge identity crisis for Moses, and it caused him to go out among his people. It caused him to go out among the slaves and see firsthand what his people were going through. In fact, it, it pained Moses' heart so much that one day he saw some slaves some Hebrews, some of his brothers being mistreated by an Egyptian guard. And he murdered that Egyptian guard. This changed everything in his life. He could no longer stay in Egypt. He had to flee, and, and, and he had to go into absolute exile. Everything he knew from before was changing. I don't know about you, but there have been moments in my life when there have been huge, abrupt changes. Well, let's meet up with Moses and see what we learn now. Now, Moses is a grown adult, and he's... Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock into the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He, Moses, looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned, when the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then the Lord said, do not come near. Take off your sandals, take them off of your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid, for he revered and respected God. The first part of this that I want to I focus on is Moses. He's walking through the wilderness. He's tending the sheep. He's minding his own business. A nice cool day, a nice warm day. I don't know what the day was like, but Moses is just going on about his business, watering the sheep, feeding the sheep, just existing life. And then he looks over, and he sees a burning bush, and it was so compelling, and, he, and Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. In my life, I've encountered some time, uh, periods of time when I looked upon something and it was so astonishing, I could not take my eyes off of it. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I mean, it, it's almost as if it's so compelling, you have to stare. We don't want to stare, but we have to stare. And this is, the, this is, this is where Moses was found. And then the Lord said to him, I love God's word. I love God's word. As I was looking at this yesterday, this first line jumped out at me. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. When God saw that he had Moses' full and complete attention, he spoke to him. This has made me wonder, what moments have I missed with God because my attention was on something else. What moments have I missed with God when I was not focused and paying attention to him? That was a bonus. 
And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Moses understood that he was in the presence of God. Moses knew where he was. Moses knew that he was confronted with the very presence of God. And the only thing that he could do, he respected God so much that he hid his face. The scripture teaches us that when a, when a Jewish person would lie before God, they would get down on their face and they would actually lay down. So I can imagine Moses just laying down in respect and reverence for God. In my life, I wonder how many times when I'm in the presence of my Lord, I'm treating that presence with that much respect. Hopefully, more often than not. But there are moments in my life when I don't give God the respect that he is due. There are moments in my life when I don't pay attention to the Lord. I hope that, as let's be honest, I think God asked me to teach this lesson because I needed it more than anybody else in this room. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and have come down to deliver them. This had to be so extraordinarily personal to Moses. Why was Moses in exile? Moses was in exile because he saw the suffering of the Hebrew slaves. Moses was in exile because he saw what the, the Egyptian taskmasters were doing to his people. Moses saw, and he was so compelled with that, that he killed a man. And I'm not condoning killing a man. But, but, this, but when God said, I have heard their cry because of their taskmaster, taskmasters, and I know their sufferings, this is very personal to Moses because he had seen that exact same thing. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. Come, and I, God, will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Let's put this in perspective. At this point in time, in Egypt, there, I've heard estimates that there were four to five million slaves, Hebrew slaves in Egypt. That's a lot of people. That's a very, very compelling, that's a huge task. God, imagine God looking at you and saying, I want you to go down to Egypt, the place you ran from. I want you to go to where you were, in, where you were living in exile from, and I want you to free five million of my chosen people. Imagine freeing five million people. Imagine even more the task of going to Pharaoh, who controls an army large enough to control five million people. You not only have to deliver the people out, you have to conquer an army that's big enough to control that many slaves. This is a task that I cannot even imagine the magnitude of. Moses said to God, do you think Moses was immediately convinced? Okay, let's go. Let's go. No. But Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Moses knew Pharaoh. Pharaoh knew Moses. Moses knew that when he faced Pharaoh, Things were not going to go very well. Moses was a simple man. Moses understood the magnitude of the task. Moses did not believe that he was up to the task. And the truth is, Moses by himself was not up to the task. Who am I, should I, that I, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring out the children? And God said, but I'll be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. This should have been good enough for Moses. You're, you're not good enough. I will be with you the creator of the universe, I am sending you and I will be with you. I am sending you to free my people. 
as I read this, I was reminded of a young boy a little bit later in the Old Testament. His name is David. It had been decided, it had been prophesied that David would become one day king. But at this point in David's life, he was still a young man. He was still a shepherd. He was still a shepherd boy, and he was tending the flocks. And at this season of life, at this season of moment, the, 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 the army of Israel was on one side of the river, and the Philistine army was on the other side of the river. And there was no battle going on, but, but there was about to be a battle. But the, 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 the army of Israel was in great fear, for every day, you may have heard of him, Goliath would come out, a giant of a man, allegedly nine feet tall, would come out, and he would, he would call out, and he would call out to the, the army of Israel, send one man, send one man, and if he defeats me, you guys win. Now, David looks at the army of Israel, and he is, he is, he is stunned. He's stunned that they are not charging across that river. He is stunned that not one man has raised his hand and said, I will go. The little teenage shepherd boy, he says, who is this Philistine? Who is this Goliath? That he should stand and he should mock the army of God. That he should stand and he should mock God, the creator of the universe. For David, it didn't take much convincing. David knew that God was on the side of Israel. David knew that. It didn't take much convincing for him. But for Moses, it was a completely different story. So in our lives, in our lives, in my life, there have been moments when God called me to a task, and it was immediate. All right, if God is with me, then nobody can defeat me. If God is there, if God is in the middle of this, I cannot be defeated because it's God who owns the victory. There have also been times in my life when the task came forward, and I knew that I was not up to the task, and I was not trusting the task to God. So if, you, if you've experienced both of those, please know that you're not alone. You're in some pretty great company, Moses and David. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel, he's still not convinced, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God, the God of your fathers, the God of your fathers. He doesn't use the word our. He comes and he says, the God of your fathers. I don't know if, this, if in this moment, Moses has not accepted who he is. That he is one of the nation of Israel. That he is one of the Hebrews. I don't know if Moses is thinking, they will never accept me. They will never accept me as one of them. So I must approach them as if I'm an alien with them. I don't know if Moses is confronting or trying to struggle with his identity in who God is. I don't know why, but he chose to say your fathers. And there are times in my life, there are times in my life when I've struggled with, am, am I part of the team or am I an individual? God said to Moses, when Moses said, who am I? And they will not believe me. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, and God said, say this to the people of Israel. The great I am has sent me to you. Those two words, I am, they meant everything to the Hebrew people. They, they, the words I am were so profound 
to the nation of Israel. That even when Christ was walking and he was standing before the Pharisees and he was talking about Moses and talking about Abraham and the Pharisees and the Sadducees looked at Christ and they said, who are you that you would know Abraham and that you know the fathers and that you know Moses? And Christ simply replied, before Moses was, I am. In that moment, those two words, I am, they were the equivalent of Jehovah. They were the equivalent of claiming that you were God. And they were ready to stone him and kill him in that moment. So when, when God says to Moses, tell them the great I am has sent me to you, that means to the, 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 the tribe of Israel, God has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. A question. Do you think at this point in time, God has given his prominence, he's given his providence, he has, he has said, Moses, I'm with you, I am the God, I am the creator. Do you think Moses is convinced at this point in time? Still not yet. He still doesn't have the vision of David, who said, if God's with us, no one can stand against us. Moses answered, but behold, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to my voice. They will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And Moses said, what is that in your hand? And Moses said, it's a staff. And God said, that'll do. That will do. We'll take that, and we will go down, and we will convince Pharaoh with that. There's a lot more to the story. There's a lot more to the story, and it took a lot more to convince Moses. But for the moment, for the moment, I want us to, to focus on God, or I want us to pay attention to God just asking Moses very, very simply, what do you have? And with that stick, we're going to go convince Pharaoh. We're going to convince the people of Israel that you are who you say you are and that I sent you, and we're going to convince Pharaoh to let my people go. As a very big question for my life. What do I have? What do I have that's worthy to serve God? What do I have that can be used to reach the children of God? What do I have? Quite candidly, most of my life, I think I have absolutely nothing. The next person we're going to encounter is a widow. This is a little bit later in the Old Testament. She's a widow. Her husband has died, and she's in a terrible, terrible moment of life. Now, the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two sons and to be slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? I can imagine the interaction between Elisha and this poor widow woman. Her sons are about to be taken. Her husband is gone. She has no means of generating income. She has no means of support. She has nothing in the house. Her sons are about to be taken away from her. In that time of Jewish culture, the sons would raise, and if the father died, they would take care of. They would take care of their mother. Her only means of support was about to be taken into slavery. She was in an absolutely desperate moment. And Eliza looks at her and says, what do you want me to do for you? Tell me. What do you have in the house? I can imagine her saying, I've got nothing. I have nothing. 
And then Elijah calmly looking at her and say, no, what do you have? And I can hear her again saying, I have nothing. I have nothing in my house. And then Elijah saying, woman, woman, what do you have? And she would say, your servant has nothing. Nothing in the house except a small jar of oil. And Elisha said, that will do. Just like God looked at Moses. Moses said, I have nothing but a stick. And God said, that'll do. Elisha, the, the widow tells Elisha, I have nothing. I have nothing but a little jar of oil. And Elisha says, that will do. Go outside. Go to all of your friends. Go to all of your neighbors. Go to everyone you can find. Go, go, go find from anyone an empty jar, an empty vessel, an empty pot. Go find as many as you can, as big as you can, and don't bring too few. Get as many as you possibly can. And once you have all of those jars, take them into your house. And once you have gathered as many as you possibly can, you and your two sons go into the house, close the door, and begin pouring the oil from the one small jar into the many jars. Sometimes, sometimes God's advice sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? If I'm, if I'm this widow, and I'm standing there, and I'm saying I have nothing except a little jar of oil, and somebody says, go get a bunch of big, empty jars, and then use that little jar to fill up all of those big jars, that sounds absolutely insane. Sometimes what God calls us to, sometimes what God has called me to, sounds absolutely insane. Sometimes... Sometimes I know that in those moments when it sounds so crazy and implausible that I know that God's in the middle of it because only God could pull that off. We can't do that on, her, on our own. I love the next three words. Then, go in and shut the door behind you and your, yourself and your two sons, take your two boys with you and pour into all of these vessels and when one is full, set it aside. Moses took a lot of convincing. The widow simply said yes. So she went. She had advice. She had guidance from, from Elijah. And so she went. She didn't argue. She didn't fuss. She didn't say there's no way that this is going to work. She said, okay, I'm going to go. So she went from him and shut the door. And be behind herself and her two sons, and as she poured... They brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another one. And then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts, reserve your sons, and live on the rest. can't imagine the relief that this widow must have experienced. Her sons are not going to be taken. God has answered in a big and huge way. I don't want to leave this story without saying, sometimes when we ask God to do something for us, the answer is no. But in this moment, the, the answer was yes. And what did God do? He said, what do you have? In these examples, I'm going to go back. We've, we've heard about Moses. We've heard about the widow. We've talked a little bit about David. In these examples, what was the source of the power? Was the source of the power in the stick? 
No. Was the source of the power in the little jar of oil? No. Was the source of the power in the sling and the stone that David used? Absolutely not. The source of the power for Moses and the widow and David was God. God took the stick and he did his work. God took the oil and he did his work. God took the sling and the stone and put them in David's hands and he did the work. There's another story in the New Testament of the disciples. They came to Jesus and Jesus had been teaching on a mountainside near Bethsaida, I believe. And it was late in the afternoon and the disciples came to him and said, hey, Jesus, everybody's hungry. It's very, very late. We don't have any food to feed them. Please send them into the city so that they can get some food and so that they can be cared for. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, no, nah, you feed them. And they said, we have nothing. We have nothing. And Jesus said, no, what do you have? And they said, we have nothing. Jesus said, no, what do you have? And they said, we have nothing except a couple of fish and a couple of pieces of bread. And Jesus said, that will do. And Jesus took those couple of pieces of bread and those couple of fish and he raised them up to God and he put them in God's hands and he asked God's blessing on it. And that couple of fish and that couple of pieces of bread fed 5,000 men and their families. What happens when we take what we have out of our hands and put it in God's hands? Amazing things happen. Now, at the very beginning, I forgot, to, I forgot to mention something. Hopefully this message is not a combination of what you should do and what you should not do. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here today to make anybody, anybody feel guilty or any shame. But I will ask you to make a decision today. I'm going to ask you to make a decision on each day for each joy, for each sorrow, for each sadness, for everything that we experience on a daily basis, will I choose to go it on my own or will I choose to go with God? This is the choice that each and every one of us have. It doesn't matter what you have. It's, what matters is, do I choose to try and go it on my own or do I choose to try and go with God? And when we go with God, he will do miraculous and amazing things that we could not even begin to imagine. First question, and so we're getting ready to wrap up. What do you have? This is a question that I can't answer for you. Only you can answer this with God. If you, if you don't know the answer to this question, I'll give you some simple things. Do you have a cell phone? Could you make a call to a neighbor? What do I have that God will use? For me, it's going to be different than it's going to be for you. And I will never know the answer to what do you have? What do you have that God will use to reach his people? Second, who is the source of all power? There's only one answer, and it is God. The things that we have, they cannot accomplish anything until we take them and put them in the hands of God. See, God sometimes uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And sometimes God uses whatever we have. Whatever you would use, choose to fill in that blank with. God uses whatever we have to accomplish his will. The question is, what will I do? What will I do with what God 
has provided for me. Will I choose to face each day and each challenge on my own or with God? And that's the decision we have to make today. There's one thing that I left off of this slide. And really it's the why. Why do we do these things? Why? Why would, why would Moses go and free the people of Israel? Why would Elisha speak to the woman? Why would the disciples come to Jesus? Why would David stand against Goliath? It's because they loved. That's the primary reason that we do anything. If we love God, if we love God, we will be willing to surrender what we have up to him and watch what he does with what he has given us. I can think of an example. of doing it, on our, doing it our, on our own versus doing it with God. There's a young woman in our church, and one day she's sitting on her back porch, and she sees a caterpillar eating her plant. My instinct in that moment would have been to kill the caterpillar and save the plant. Her instinct was to watch it. And in a couple of days, that caterpillar started to turn into a chrysalis, a cocoon. And so she watched it, and I think she actually even put it in a jar to watch what would happen next. And in a period of time, that little caterpillar that had turned into a cocoon turned into a butterfly. At that season of her life, she had been struggling with a question that she had from God. God, there are women all around the world who are being sold into slavery. There are women who need to know that you love them. God, I feel called to go do that, but I am unworthy. I have nothing to send that message. And in that quiet moment, in that quiet moment, she's sitting there and she's watching this butterfly come out of its cocoon. And God taps her on the shoulder and he says, that will do. And from that moment, she created a little plush toy. She created a toy, a caterpillar, that when you open it up, it becomes a butterfly. And she used that example, she used that example to go around the world and teach people what God sees inside of us, what happens when we surrender to God, the change, the absolute change that happens in our lives from who we are today, from who we were in our past, to who we are in our future in God's hands. And she has used that on, I think, five continents with tens of thousands of women. It's a plush toy. But when she took that plush toy and she put herself and that plush toy in God's hands. It has changed the lives of thousands and thousands of people. What do you have? It can be something simple, it can be something complex. How will God use what you have? You see, Jeremiah said it like this. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Today I'm gonna to say it for myself this way. I want to take my hand, and I want to put my hand ooh, where God's hand has been on the staff. And I want to put my hand where God's hand has been and go with God. More importantly, I want, I want forever for God's hand to be on my heart and from my heart to be forever surrendered to him so that I would never turn from him, that I would never turn away. My prayer for you is that today you would choose to go with God instead of going on your own.
what timing they have. I thank you. If, if you are here today and you're one of those people who says, I have no idea what God is saying to me. I have no idea what I can use. I have no idea what God would call me to do in my life. I, don't wanna, I can't answer that question for you here today. But what I can do is tell you that Pastor Jim, VJ, myself, Pastor Arthur, any of the elders, any of the pastors, any of the leaders, any of the people around you who've walked that path can join with you and help you understand what it means, what it means to surrender it to God. And why do we do it? We do it because we love. I thank you. I love you. And I'm done. Let's stand to our feet. This song is a responsive song.